again, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. I'm your host for this evening, Randall Sanders, happy to be joined as always by Jeremy Spector. Our typical ringleader, Ronan, is a little under the weather this week, so we're going to hold it down for him this week, and we hope to have the full crew at full strength back next week. Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? I'm uh, I'm doing well. I, I, I feel fine. I feel all good. You know, our uh, friend, our amigo, the compatriot, Ronan, he, he wanted us to eulogize him. I guess that's how he's been feeling. So uh, not well. So for Ronan, I'm out here. I, I'm here for you, for your sickness. Yeah, Ronan, um, we're, we're not going to eulogize you, hopefully, but uh, we, we do miss your your. Uh, what the, those were his words. Term. He wanted yeah, to be the, eulogized. I, I know those were his words. That's, <laughs> yeah, we get into all sorts of discussions about that. Uh, but Ronan, we, we hope you're feeling better. Uh, you'll be listening to this at some point, I'm sure. So feel better soon. And you will be back to guide us through the, the churning waters of the Cubs in Major League Baseball in no time at all, I'm certain. Speaking of Ronan, as we promised on our last edition, recorded about a week and a half ago, uh, one Ronan O'Shea made one of his uh, semi-annual visits uh, back here to Chicago. And as promised, we convened at one of our favorite spots, the Landmark Inn in Northbrook, Illinois, and a good time was had by all. Yeah, definitely. I had a good time. I know you had a good time, Randall. Uh, We got to see the uh, Houston Cougars take down the Arizona Wildcats. And then, of course, being in Northbrook, the home of one John Shire, all the fans were rooting for the Duke Blue Devils to make it to the Final Four. It was a good night held by all. Unfortunately, it seems like Ronan somewhere, somewhere along the way, caught a bug. I don't know if it was there. I mean, we're both feeling fine. Yeah, so we're both it was, fine. Uh, with some of the family members later he saw that weekend. Let's not cast any aspersions on the landmark in food. I know it's not necessarily five star, but to say it makes someone sick, that's that's a very hey. it's a very severe accusation. So let's not My level those. Oh boy, straight from the Displains River was a okay. Exactly. Me. Was, let's let's wonderful. not level those accusations lightly, of course. Uh, so again, Ronan, we do hope you you feel better again soon. But it was good to get uh, all three of us together at a, a corner table at the landmark. Those are some very exciting college basketball basketball games that I watched out of the corner of my eye every five minutes or so. Uh, yeah, it's always nice to be in the landmark when it's uh, pleasantly hopping and uh, it's always good to get back there. It was, it was fun. I, 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 I like, you know, going out the, the crew, the, the, the three of us on the pod, just, you know, spreading our joy, spreading our love all together. It, it's a wonderful experience. I wish more people could experience it. And maybe one day we'll do a live pod if the, if the people want it. You know, and, that, uh, that, that topic came up as we were sitting there at our table doing a, a live a live spot, a live behind the yellow line spot over in the, the corner of the landmark in nestled between the golden tea machine and the electronic dart machine. Or maybe it's a maybe it's a, a buck hunter machine. I can never remember. But absolutely. We've got a table set up there. We'll get a nice behind the yellow line canvas banner strewn across the front of the table. Uh, the, the, the the Jack and Cokes will be flowing. The flowing. landmark burgers will be plentiful. That uh, that sounds like something to aspire to. Perhaps the we can work on that. Fries will be plentiful. Absolutely. The cheeseburger fries will be plentiful. Always get the cheeseburger fries, even if you're only going to eat 95% of them, because by the end, they've kind of worn out their welcome. Always get the cheeseburger fries. Yeah, it was a good time. I'm more often, hopefully in the future. And uh, maybe there'll be pick some pictures. I don't know who knows posted on the, the Twitter account, but uh, I know the fans are clamoring for them. But we'll uh, see the, about that. I think the fan is clamoring for them. I'm not sure one person constitutes fans. fans in the plural 
uh, numerically, but that's something we can get into another time. So as we sit here and record this on the evening of Thursday, March 31st, we sit one week away from opening day, less than one week from right now, if you're counting the hours, we will be enjoying, hopefully enjoying, uh, the first baseball game of the 2022 MLB season. And Jeremy, you, of course, the season ticket holder among us, you will be sitting out there in whatever conditions Mother Nature has in store for us. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a wonderful experience, I hope, uh, as you said. Uh, unfortunately, this season, I'm actually not uh, going on season tickets. Uh, you know, a lack of excitement, I guess. Not for me, but from some other people uh, moving out of the city in the group. It's a little tough to go on your own, but I will be there. Purchase, made sure to get tickets done for opening day. And uh, Randall, I actually was curious, but I was thinking about this myself. How will you be experiencing opening day? Uh, well, given that it is a Thursday, unfortunately, and my schedule does not uh, does not quite permit me to take off work for opening day, I will likely be experiencing it, thinking about it. I will likely be experiencing it on the radio as I am driving from one work site to the other. Um, but uh, fortunately for me, my work time during which I cannot listen to the game uh, will hopefully be a lot earlier next Thursday. So a good portion of the game will have gone by by the time I'm done, but uh, hopefully I will be able to hear the end of it. Hopefully I'll be able to hear Pat Hughes call a, a very exciting opening day Cubs win as I'm driving back home on stately Interstate 90 uh, with intent on getting off on Interstate 294 and then heading north from there. So uh you know, it's not ideal. You'd also always be able to always like to be able to watch or listen to the entirety of opening day, but at least I will have the opportunity, hopefully to hear an exciting conclusion to a win. Do you have uh, maybe an outfit already prepared for opening day? Do you have some food stops on the way? You're like, I need to get a Chicago dog. It's opening day or something, something to I honor Wrigley and the Cubs. You, you know, that's that's a great idea. I don't necessarily have um, a menu other than my usual uh, homemade lunch ready to go that day. But, you know, that's an excellent point. I should, I should find some way to, to work a little bit of blue into my my work wardrobe that day. I think that's I, I don't know if the kids they'll be happy if you work in some blue in front of the kids, Randall. Yeah, yeah. You don't don't be blue. Don't be blue. Zach, Zach Alfanak is working with the kids. Don't be blue. Don't be blue. I'll, I'll find some way to work some blue into my wardrobe that day. We'll see what we can do. I think that's a, a fair suggestion. I, for opening day, I should find some way to do that, shouldn't I? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's the most happy day of the year. It's the most optimistic day of the year. Everyone's in first place at the start on opening day. So, you know, you just, it's, I love it. It's my favorite day. And I, I always make sure to get be at Wrigley for uh, the home opener, which I'm yeah. sure this year is actually opening day, which is awesome. Absolutely. And, you know, there were, uh, there was quite a time that most of the episodes of this podcast over a long cold winter where we were not sure there would be an opening day. Um, with any kind of immediacy or at all even. And, and so it takes on a little extra significance in that regard. We, you know, we, we, we weren't sure there was going to be an opening day and we certainly weren't sure that it was going to be here in April. So it, it's nice that that got worked out and it's nice that we and you have opening day to look forward to. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was actually gone when the, uh, um, the deal actually got hit. Like I was going to the airport, like it's happening. I'm leaving. And you guys did that emergency pod to um you know cover that but yeah it was just three weeks ago that or so you know we were doing this podcast i was super frustrated because i thought that there was a deal we made and it didn't seem like it had gotten done you guys did not think we were gonna get any baseball for a very long time and fortunately you know that deal did get made and we got we got baseball and you know people are not gonna be excited for this cubs team right about now there's a lot of frustration i understand all that 
but it's opening day. It's baseball season. I love it. Can't wait for it. And so at least for one day of the year, as I just said, there's always excitement. And, and I, I think it should be fantastic. And I, and I hope other people can enjoy it as well, because we don't only get so much baseball. So you got to experience it and you got to savor it. Absolutely. And I think that's a very fair point, Jeremy. Opening day, no matter how you feel about your team, there's only one opening day. And no matter how you feel about your team, you know, as you said, it's a cliche, but it's true. Everybody's in first place on opening day. Your team hasn't lost any games yet. Now your team hasn't won any games yet either. But just the same that, you know, it's okay to be, it's okay to enjoy opening day. There's a lot to not like about this roster and that's fair. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But again, how many opening days is, are you going to get to experience in your lifetime? Hopefully a lot, but it's still a finite number. So you might as well, you might as well enjoy them while you can. Exactly, Randall. And you know, anytime you're, it could be at Wrigley, hopefully the sun's shining. Hopefully it's not 30 degrees. We don't know because the opening day can be anything. I mean, the best opening day I feel like I ever went to, I think was like 2018. I don't know, one year it was against the Pirates and it was like 80 degrees and I was in the bleachers and it was amazing. The Cubs won 11-1 and I think Lester like, pulled a hammy running the bases, but everything other than that was amazing. But, you know, you, you just got to experience it. Even if it's cold, it's going to be fun. I mean, that game where Kosuke hit the homer, that was a freezing cold day. Unfortunately, I wasn't there, but our third member was. And, you know, you just experience all of them, and they're all fun. And so I'm excited. I'm excited for this Cubs season. I know some people have differing opinions, but anytime we get Cubs baseball, I'm excited for it. Absolutely. And you mentioned the weather can be just about anything on opening day. We sit here again on the evening of March 31st. It's uh, it's snowing outside. Where, wherever poor Joakim Noah is, he just bolted upright. He went, snowing for real? Uh, I believe it was 2018 where it did snow on the planned opening day, and it was delayed by a day. I want to say maybe 2019 that the Cubs opened with a, a rousing drubbing of the Pirates against against the pirates at Wrigley uh, but like you said the weather on opening day it can be unpredictable you could get perfect weather you could get uh, less than perfect weather but uh, hopefully you enjoy that um, I know that we will uh, I know that we will discuss your opening day experience probably in great detail what you drank what you ate how you drank it how you ate it where you were sitting and just about every other detail you could possibly imagine I will not be asking most of those questions hint hint uh, but I'm sure we will discuss it in detail uh, in our next edition after opening day. So we often complain that spring training is too long, and that's fair. It generally comes out to being about six weeks. Uh, we don't necessarily have that complaint this year. We have less than a week of spring training remaining. The Cactus League schedule is just about complete. And we are looking at this opening day roster shaking up. Now, those of you who have not been following along, MLB and the Players Union have agreed that there will be a 28-man roster to start the season, and there will not be any restrictions on how many of those 28 can be pitchers versus position players. So, Jeremy, uh, do we have any thoughts on how we think the roster is going to shake out? There have been a lot of I mean, potentially interesting non-roster guys in camp this year. We have a lot of gosh, I don't want to say bottom feeding, but maybe parts that aren't that exciting that are probably locks to make the roster. What do we think uh, a week away from opening day? What do we think about this opening day roster? Well, you know, it, I think that I actually would like to go back to a little bit to one of the points you made uh, when you first started, uh, when we talked about, uh, or we've talked about in the past about how spring training has always been, you know, too long or six weeks. And now we have this kind of condensed spring training. And I feel like that's kind of interesting because when you're looking at spring training, I think, I feel like sometimes, you know, we have, we have this really long spring training period and guys are playing and it's a month or more. 
And you can kind of get caught up in like, oh, this guy's having an amazing spring training or whatever. And I feel like we don't really experience that now because everybody's just trying to get ready for baseball, which is going to start in a week. That's like we haven't like really seen any like spring breakouts or there's like no guy who's like, oh, is he going to make the opening day roster based on it's pretty much just like, okay, this is our team. We got to just get him set and whatever. Um, So I just found that to be interesting. But to me, I I feel like with the extra men, often it's going to be. Uh, relief pitchers and i and i i'm just thinking that you know guys like manny rodriguez scott efros who were on the club last year i think i think they're probably going to be more of a lock to start the the, the season I, I think in the bullpen and then a guy a non-roster mt like jesse chavez i think will probably start the bullpen and i feel like that's where those extra men are going to come from um and then the bullpen will probably sort its way out you know over the the length of the year but i feel like the position players are pretty much set and i feel like most of it is pretty much set. Yeah, I think the only real question among the position players is uh, Andrelton Simmons, who I believe has yet to get into a Cactus League game as he deals with some shoulder soreness. And that's great. The guy whose only real value is glove has not been able to play defense. Uh, and that, that's, you know, that's always great when the, the guy you're counting on to be your top defensive player can't actually do that. He's not going to provide any value with the bat. Um, but you, you, you made the point a second ago, spring training has been so abbreviated this year. We haven't really had to get, t- had time to get into the, the attrition that's usually the case in an extended spring training. And something that's jumped out to me as we go through the shortened spring training is that the Cubs ostensible number three starter, Wade Miley, and at least one guy who figures to be, at least they hope part of their bullpen in David Robinson, neither of them has yet to pitch in a Cactus League game. Now, Wade Miley, he's being brought along a little slower at his request. He's an older guy. He, you know, he has a spring routine, and he said with the weird offseason this year, he didn't really have time to ramp up. So he's a veteran. You figure he will, uh, he'll be there when the bell rings, and they have enough, they have enough space in the first part of the schedule you can get by without a fifth starter potentially. Uh, but does that, does that worry you at all that these guys who potentially could figure in big time to the big league roster, does it worry you that they have yet to get into a spring training game? Uh, not really. I think for uh, Wade, <clears throat> as, as you mentioned, you know, he's on his own schedule and he, he probably didn't start ramping up to a little late, but it, with the early schedule and those, a lot of off days often coming in the early schedule, you know, they can, they can get through it. And I think, You'll see a guy like Alec Mills, who's probably locked to make the team pitch a little bit in the in the certain rotation. I, it wouldn't surprise me if you see a lot of teams, especially early on, just because of the way pitching is, and, and especially with the way that things have been over the last two years, really going through the 2020 COVID season. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of teams use, utilize like a six-man rotation early on in the season, uh, just get a bunch of guys in there starting. And so I think that Alec Mills will probably get some starts, even if he – probably won't predominantly be used as a reliever this year, or I, I think early on in the season, he'll get some starts just to, to factor in with the way where Miley comes in. And I think you'll see like, like Drew Smiley is probably a lock to make the rotation. And uh, uh, I think Justin Steele will be in the rotation. So I, I just feel like though you'll get a six man kind of rotation early on. And then with David Robertson, he had a child, he had a baby. So uh, sure. Sure. Nobody's, nobody's blaming him no, for I'm coming into boy. camp slow family, <laughs> family first. I don't think anybody out there is a, is a, has any issues with his reason for, for being into camp a little bit slower. Yes, of course he had a child and congratulations to David Robertson and his family. Um, but you know, he still figures to hopefully figure in significantly to this bullpen. And, you know, he's another veteran reliever. Relievers don't take as much time to get ready for the season. 
Um, but yeah, that's again, that's still another guy who has come along pretty slowly. Uh, but you mentioned Alec Mills, and he's probably likely to get at least a couple starts at the the start of the season. You mentioned Justin Steele, who is vying for a rotation spot. And then, of course, you mentioned Drew Smiley, who I think David Ross is on record as saying he's probably going to start the season uh, in the rotation. So you're looking at a rotation to start the season of five of, of course, Hendricks, Marcus Stroman, Wade Miley, Justin Steele, Alec Mills, and Drew Smiley. As much as I appreciate the comedy of having Miley and Smiley in the same rotation, you know, it's not a rotation that inspires a whole lot of confidence. Is there one of those guys to you who you think has the potential to maybe be more than we expect out of him in this early going? Well, I think if we're looking for more than we expect, I think that it's probably, I would, I, I would go with Drew Smiley just because. I think we'll get what we expect out of Stroman and Hendricks and probably even Miley. I think that the, I think the rotation is better than last year's rotation. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I was Stroman. I, I think Stroman's probably the best pitcher out of the last two years on each of, and Miley, I think is an upgrade over, uh, you know, Zach Davies and, and hopefully Hendricks can come back. So I think it really, if you're looking for a guy who can kind of provide more than what you're expecting, I think it would really be Drew Smiley. I think that he has the potential. He was a uh, pretty solid pitcher when he was younger. He have had the Tommy John surgery. Of course, all the Cubs fans know because the Cubs signed him, hoping he would come back from they, the Tommy John. They paid John. for that Tommy John surgery, <laughs> and then and then traded him away to, to save some money. And and he struggled a little bit. Um, and so, but he he actually pitched pretty well, I believe, for uh, San Francisco. He pitched pretty well um, when he was coming back and. I don't know. I've always kind of liked Drew Smiley. I've always thought of him. He was traded for David Price, so he was once a well, well-regarded prospect, and he still has kind of the stuff. Uh, it's coming back a little bit two years out from Tommy John surgery. So I, I think if there's a guy who can kind of provide a little bit more than what you're expecting, who can kind of okay take the next kind of level, I think my hope would be it's Drew Smiley. Yeah. And, you know, if Justin Steele and he's he's vying for that rotation spot, if he makes it into that rotation, I'm interested to see what he can do as a full time starting pitcher. Now, last year, he was better as a reliever than a starter. He did really good work in that multi inning relief role coming out of the bullpen two, three times a week and giving you two or three innings. Uh, I wonder if as they start to get guys back into their designated spots, maybe they move him back into that role. But he came up as a reliever last year, and it's a lot harder to stretch yourself out and get into starting shape mid-season than it is to do it in the spring but he's had spring training to get himself stretched out we know the stuff is good he throws low to mid 90s he's a lefty which always makes it interesting so I'm really interested to see what Justin Steele can potentially do as a a full-time starting pitcher now that he's had time to stretch out and work himself up uh, to that so he's I I don't want to say my dark horse but he's something I'm someone I'm interested to see watch in the rotation to start the season yeah I like Justin Steele too I I like him a lot I I I'm a little skeptical of him as a starter. I, I think he deserves every opportunity to be a starter, especially with the, you know, what the Cubs are throwing out there. I think you got to see whether or not he actually can start. Um, I think he was phenomenal as that lefty reliever, as you mentioned in that multi-inning role last year. I, I think he works really well there. Um, but, but yeah, I think you, you throw him out there, you try to see what he's going to start. And I think, as I said early on, you're going to get a lot of, I think, you're probably going to work with like a six man rotation kind of all these guys are going to make starts or at least early on in the season. So we're going to get to see them a couple times through. I probably, and I'm, I'm excited for, you know, Smi- smiley and, and steel are both left-handers and I, I would like, and Wade Miley's left-hander too. Um, but you know, I, I would like to see that coming from the left side 
uh, if Justin Steele, because these kind of guys, one of the problems with the Cubs have had the last couple of years, and we've ragged on it, is they don't have any like strikeout guys at the top. They really struggled last year in terms of strikeouts. Um, and hopefully if, if you get a solid Justin Steele, if you get a Drew Smiley who pitches above what you expect, those are probably guys that could bring some strikeouts. And I would like to see that uh, coming from the Cubs starting pitchers. Yeah, there, there haven't been a whole lot of strikeouts in the rotation really the past, what, three, four, five seasons, honestly. And just to quickly go back to something you mentioned, how uh, you're still kind of managing innings with guys. It, it's the pandemic shortened season was now two seasons ago, believe it or not. Uh, it was 2020. We're starting the 2022 season. The big problem last year was that you weren't necessarily pitching guys their full season's worth of innings because they had only pitched a 60 game season the year prior. And it's funny how we're still feeling the effects of that. Guys are basically having taken two seasons now to ramp back up from that 60 game season. So it's having long reaching effects for them to have played that truncated season and a truncated spring this year is not helping that at all. So it's a, it's a domino effect rippling throughout a number of seasons now. And again, like you said, it's going to affect starting rotations as they probably have six or seven guys ready most teams will uh, in order to take some innings as guys needs time off yeah like this this lockout uh really kind of through you know it's it's three seasons in a row to be honest um you had the ramp up in spring training in 2020 then the shutdown basically and then they had a ramp up again mid-season 2020 and then 2021 over the offseason you're still kind of unaware you know you're trying to have a normal offseason but still dealing with it, the, the, the league had wanted to push the, the season back a month. Um, so there's still kind of uncertainty. And then this year you have total uncertainty with the lockout. You know, you have no idea. So it's really three years in a row that you're really struggling to try to ramp up, to try to get ready, to, to uh, you know, have a normal offseason. Hasn't happened yet. And I think you're going to see a lot of effects with that with pitchers um, early on in the season. I think that's why – I mean, it's why – the uh, major league baseball expand the roster it's why early in the year that um the uh the the injured list is 10 going to be 10 days which is had been previously normal but it's moving back to 15 days later in the year but early in the year it's gonna be 10 days for pitchers and once we get to may it'll, it'll move back to 15 so I, I i think you're gonna see a lot a lot of pitchers and even the options that's another thing uh, there was a new rule about the five options a year but that's not going to include may this year it's that's not right. count, you, you can be optioned up and down as many times as your team needs in the month of April. So you're going to see a lot of pitchers. A, yeah. So there's going to be a lot of roster movement. There's going to be a lot of guys who need that 10 day IL stint, maybe just to rest a, a tired elbow or a tired shoulder and only miss one turn through the rotation. So it's going to be kind of a work in progress for a lot of teams uh, here in the month of April. And like you said, this is the third straight season where you're not going to have a normal ramp up period. You're not going to have uh, a fully normal spring training or season. And you just hope that collectively, not just in baseball, but collectively, we're able to get to back to some sort of long-term normalcy, maybe next season or maybe the season after. So Hopefully. the Cubs at least signed, it won't be self-inflicted next season. Yes, at least it won't be self-inflicted. You know, knock on wood, I'm reasonably sure they're not going to have a lockout again next offseason. But we, we no need to go into that. Don't need to put those vibes out there. So the Cubs have signed some some interesting pieces on the fringes of the roster this year. They've signed guys like uh, they signed guys like Clint Frazier. You have Michael Hermosillo back in camp after he chose to come back to the Cubs on a major league deal. Uh, you have Jonathan VR, who they signed to probably play some infield, a little bit of outfield. Any of these uh, players on the fringes, in the bullpen, on the bench, have any of these players stood out to you either in the positive or the negative? Any guys 
who have to you sit down and say, hey, maybe this guy was a really good pickup? Uh, I think the one guy I'm kind of interested in is Clint Frazier. Uh, I think exactly VR, I VR yeah, I think VR is a good pickup. I like the the VR ad, I think, for the money, and I, I think he's a solid addition to the team. But Clint Frazier, a guy who was once a top prospect, uh, was when he was in high school, was noted for having like one of the quickest swings in the country as a high schooler, um, traded for Andrew Miller in a huge trade when the Cubs traded uh, Torres for Chapman. The, you know, the Indians traded Clint Frazier for Andrew Miller to the Yankees. And he had kind of a tough go of it in New York. He had concussion issues, as I'm sure you're going to bring up. And so just if he's head is clear and he's got that 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 fast bat working, as it looks like it's been in the spring. Now, we've all been fooled by spring training. Uh, Jock Peterson had a wonderful spring training last year. But just watching him just rip the ball as he did in spring training and seeming kind of happy, you know, to be out of New York. I'm excited to see Clint Frazier. I hope that's a guy that, you know, maybe he's only going to be around for one year because hopefully he has a monster year and he can sign somewhere with a big contract next year. Yeah, you mentioned Clint Frazier and his concussion issues. They weren't just concussion issues. It it was uh, an undiagnosed. It was a a concussion that he kept hidden and he was trying to play through it. And as you might expect, that's a traumatic brain injury. It it affected him very adversely. I'm understating understating it grossly here, but he was trying to play through a concussion and that's difficult enough no matter what your position is. You're trying to hit major league pitching and play major league outfield with, again, with a traumatic brain injury. That's, That's a terrible thing to have to do. And like you said, hopefully he's healthy this year. And if he is, he has that pedigree of a former top minor league offensive player. And that can be a real boon to the Cubs, especially as you now have the designated hitter position that you can rotate a guy through and uh, keep him, keep his bat in the lineup while keeping him healthy. So that's exactly where I was going is I think Clint Frazier could very easily be a very good under the radar pickup for this team. You can never have too many hitters. He's a, a capable outfielder. He was a gold glove finalist or winner one year with the Yankees. Don't think he ever won the gold glove. Okay, so he was a gold glove finalist. To whatever extent that means anything, you can argue it means very little. Uh, but so he has some defensive pedigree to his name. But yeah, I think that could very easily be uh, a very solid under the radar pickup for the Cubs as they try and find uh, some offense to to put into this lineup that doesn't have a whole lot of punch to it right now. And then and I want to make a, a a little off topic. It's not off topic. It's on the topic of Clint Frazier uh, point. Uh, and maybe the Cubs are finding some sort of marketing efficiency here, but it seems to me like the Cubs have really stockpiled a lot of redheaded bats. <laughs> that you, they get, have. you get the Clint Frazier, you have the Owen Casey. I've been calling him big red. You have James Triantos. I've been calling him little red. Uh, it just seems like the Cubs really getting into those, those redheads that could just, just smack the ball, hit it hard. And I don't know if that's a thing that there's in their scouting reports or what, but it seems like they've really made an effort to acquire that type of uh, uh, look, I guess. Well, uh, maybe, the, yeah, maybe, fun. maybe gingers are the new market inefficiency, yeah. you know, for, for a long time it was on base percentage. Uh, and then, you know, now it's, then it was launch angle. Maybe gingers are the next revolution in major league offense. If only Cubs Matt come. Merton was on the 2022 Cubs. That's right. And, you know, they saw how good those teams were with Matt Merton. Who could forget the 2005-2006 Cubs? Now, of course, I'm leaving out the 2007 Cubs, um, who, of course, won the division. But who could forget the, the 05? <laughs> That's right. Who is the who? Who could forget the 05 and 06 Cubs, where Matt Merton figured in uh, quite heavily? So maybe they're they're trying to catch ginger lightning in a bottle. And you, you mentioned we have big red, we have little red. All we need is a, a redhead with some speed, and we can call him Ginger Lightning. So yeah. maybe, maybe Jed can, uh, maybe Jed and Carter can do their work, find a, a prospect in the minor league somewhere else, trade for him, uh, a, a redhead with some, some base running speed, ginger lightning. 
so yeah, one of the great. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I, I'm just going to add just on Clint Frazier was that, you know, I, with the DH, I, I was just excited to see him. You know, I, I just think the DH is going to be a boon so much to NL teams and getting different guys to be able to play different positions and, uh, and work them through the ro- the roster with versatility. And so I think it's a perfect signing, even though it was before the DH was implanted, I almost feel like the Cubs, you know, were planning for that. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people, including at least one member of this podcast have very strong opinions about the designated hitter versus national league baseball and the double switch and all that. Again, I, I have nothing against National League Baseball. I grew up, of course, watching National League Baseball. Hitting for the pitcher is, is something I've just come to accept as part of baseball. But like you said, the designated hitter is going to help a lot of guys stay healthy. It's going to help teams keep potent bats in the lineup while keeping them rested. You're going to be able to DH Wilson Contreras whenever you need to to keep his bat in there without having to play him at first base or in the outfield. Uh, to give his legs a break, it's going to help a lot of players. And hopefully you see guys who have maybe been, uh, you know, injury prone knee leg injuries. Hopefully it helps them stay healthy and stay in the lineup more. You want to see good players stay in the lineup and able to stay healthy. And the DH is going to help that. So one of the great things about spring training, of course, is that you get to see uh, a lot of key minor leaguers um, get into a lot of games. And, you know, you have guys who are the so-called non-roster invitees to camp. Those are minor leaguers who Uh, are not on the 40 man, but the organization wants to get them time with the major league coaches time in the major league clubhouse. And they want to get a real good look at them in game action. Brennan Davis, of course, needs no introduction. We know what kind of prospect he is. He hit that huge home run the other night. I was hooting and hollering to my otherwise empty living room as he he hit that tank to dead center. Uh, But uh, aside from a real obvious name like Brennan Davis, I have two names in mind, Jeremy, but is there anybody uh, in camp on the minor league side who's really stood out to you and said, hey, this guy could be a contributor sooner versus later? Uh, to be honest, I, I, I think in just like the two guys I just kind of mentioned before, I think, you know, every time I see Owen Casey and James Triantos, I feel like they're always hitting baseballs hard, uh, no matter what. And I, I actually love James Triantos, just his whole approach. It just seems like he's going to swing and he's going to hit a baseball hard. And he, yeah, like I watched the other game, he was down 0-2 count. He just smokes the ball up the middle and then he came back up pretty much his next at bat and did the bait pretty much the exact same thing. And so uh, those are just the two guys that have stood out to me outside of Brennan, um, who I think has been, you know, obviously a little bit high in the strikeouts, but everything else you could ask for in spring training. Yeah. And we're going to see Brennan up at the major league level sooner versus later, probably by June. And like you said, it's great to see some of the prospects who are a little further away from the majors still get into these televised and big league spring training games Ed Howard's gotten into a few games the last few weeks. Uh, he even played a little bit of second base the other night, had a, or the other day, I suppose it was still light out, had a, a great turn uh, on a double play. You know, it's great to see these guys. We know that most of the talent in the minors is still a couple seasons away. And it's great to see these guys play in, televised major league games on a major league field. Two guys who have stood out to me are both relievers. Uh, and those are Ethan Roberts and Kane Eckert. And I did not, I did not know the last name was pronounced Eckert. I don't know that I would have uh, got, I don't know that I would have predicted that, but it's good to know. Ethan Roberts has the advantage of already being on the 40 man roster. And you know, you're on the 40 man roster. He made it to Iowa last year. You're on the 40 man roster. You're at Iowa and you pitching well, you are like you're you're an email away from the major leagues. It doesn't even need to be a phone call. You text somebody, tell them to you know get on the red eye. Um, but he does not necessarily throw the hardest, but he's got great command and a lot like Jesse Chavez, he just comes right after you. He throws strikes, he goes after you, and he 
I think has the potential to be a very effective major league reliever. And even more exciting is Kane Eckert, who is not on the 40 man. He has not pitched above double a Tennessee. He will probably start the season there with an eye on moving him up to Iowa, but he's a guy I think we're going to see this year pitching for the major league Cubs this spring. He's pitched three innings. Two of them have been in save situations and he's converted them both. Uh, Arizona Phil, one of those legendary online figures who just seems to live in Mesa, literally at the ballpark. Like he has a suite in the, the broadcast booth and just pops up to give you scouting reports on guys. He had his fastball at 95 to 98 and he throws a great slider. And what more do you need from a reliever is great command. You've got a good fastball. You've got a great secondary pitch. And he clearly has the mentality to pitch in the ninth inning. I'm not real big on the mentality of baseball. I believe you do it or you can't. But I do think the ninth inning is one of those situations where you really have to have the right kind of brain for it. And he clearly does. Last season for double uh, A Tennessee, he had seven saves. So that's a guy I'm excited to see pitch in the minor leagues this year. Can he keep up the great work? Because, you know, relievers are the most shuttled positions back and forth. You call up a reliever every week in the major leagues. That's a guy I'm excited to see potentially pitch for the major league Cubs this year because, you know, they don't really have a closer right now. And you're not typically super keen on handing that closer role to a guy who is uh, only 25 years old and has yet to pitch in the major leagues. But you know my philosophy on the closer, Jeremy. What's my philosophy on the closer? Anyone can do it. A good closer can come from anywhere. Good closer can come from anywhere. Right. I don't necessarily believe that anyone can close but I do believe a good closer can come from anywhere. And if it happens to be, you know, this, this older minor leaguer who's got the stuff and the mentality for it. Great. So I'm excited to see a guy like Kane Eckert come up and potentially pitch in the major leagues this year. He stood out to me this spring, even though it's only been three innings pitched in the, the shortened spring. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you primarily on your philosophy. I have always thought that sometimes we get too caught up in names and, and guys who have done things before. And it's like, Hey, if you have a good fastball and a good, uh, slider you probably can do anything anybody else can do um with you know the one thing that all kind of prospect or people that review uh you know pay attention to the minor league systems and, and are informed have generally said about the cubs over the last year uh probably almost two years now um is that the they had this incredible pretty much everybody in their system just had this like incredible leap in velocity that whatever the cubs did over like the last uh, probably a little more than a year it, just for their pitchers. They just all kind of had this huge jump. And now, unfortunately, that also kind of coincided with some injuries that pitchers have had. But you look at a guy like Kane Eckert, who, you know, 27th, I want to say, kind of round draft pick, kind of coming out of, you know, a smaller school in McNeese State. Uh, and then having a dominant year last year, you know, he had the off year in 2020, like most of these guys did, not pitching in minor leagues. And he had a dominant year last year. And I saw him uh, pitch. I was watching the game the other day where he, he closed it out pretty much uh, in the ninth inning and in spring training Cubs won. And he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good to me in the uh, there in the ninth inning. And uh, I, I liked him. And, and, and you mentioned Ethan Roberts, another guy who, you know, kind of a shorter dude, kind of been around a little bit on the radar for a little bit of a while, um, but looking like he's really knocking on the door now. And uh, the Cubs have the, a lot of these live arms and, and, you know, a lot of some of them will probably get hurt. Some of them weren't going to pan out, but they have a lot of live arms to throw at you that are young and can come up. And it's nice to see that at least in the bullpen, they have a lot of these guys that are going to come at you and throw hard. And a lot of other 
you know, organizations have kind of, we've seen that from other teams. Like they've all these bullpens built of all these young guys who are throwing hard. And it's nice to see the Cubs finally kind of have a bunch of those arms. Yeah. We haven't seen a whole lot of velocity in the Cubs anywhere on the Cubs pitching staff recently, but they, you've got a number of guys in camp this year who can really run it up there. And that's something we've been wanting the Cubs to add uh, for the last few seasons, because it makes all the difference. Everybody throws 95 in the major leagues right now. And just guys that touch 98 or higher compiled by uh, at Cub Prospects, Brian Smith, who is a great Cubs Prospects writer who you should follow. But in spring camp this year, you have Cole Franklin, you have Max Bain, uh, you have Daniel Palencia, who touched 98 or higher. And then you have Jensen, Espinosa, Marquez, Vizcaino, Killian, Sanders, and Little. These are all guys who sit in the mid to upper nineties. There is a lot of velocity in the system right now. And like you said, not all of it is going to pan out because it never does, but there's, there's nothing to be lost by compiling all of these guys who throw hard as many as you can and hope that a couple of them pan out. Cause if even two of them pan out, that's a boon to your pitching staff. And that's a boon to your team is guys who can throw hard. So like you said, that's the whole point of developing pitching infrastructure is that you can get a couple ticks of velocity from a guy and it makes them that more effective as a pitcher. And we're seeing the effects of all that pitch pitch lab infrastructure they've invested in. We're seeing that play out as guys go from maybe middling relief prospects to being a, a lot higher regarded with those extra two, three miles an hour. Yeah. And they, uh, they also hired, you know, as I believe he's now the, uh, the assistant to Jed, but uh, Craig Breslow was in charge of their pitching infrastructure on the minor league scale development. And, and I remember when he used to pitch he pitched in the major leagues and Ivy league guy, like Kyle Hendricks, he, he was considered like the smartest major leaguer <laughs> out out there, which might be a, you know, who knows, but he was, he was, and he, he kind of kind of run through, uh, if I want kind of uh, bio biomechanics, I believe uh, when he was brought into the Cubs. And I, and I think some of that, that biomechanics um, kind of applied to these young arms have really kind of un unlocked, you know, a couple extra ticks on the fastball. And, you know, sometimes people, you know, it's, you, you want to throw your pitch, you know, you want to, you want to dot the plate. Everybody knows that. And you want to throw pitches where they go. Cause you know, major leaguers can hit a, a misplaced 99 mile per hour fastball or whatever. But if you ever, you look at the data, you know, every tick of fastball, you know, adds an extra kind of strikeout, like strikeouts go up with that. And when strikeouts go up, offense goes down, which unfortunately we've seen across the league, but when you're actually, you know, a general manager, you're trying to put together the best team, it's your job to win. And so you, you do want to see those pitchers take an extra step in terms of getting an extra tick or two on their fastball. And it's nice to see that the Cubs have really kind of been the team probably more so than any other team in major league baseball from those that review it have said, Hey, the Cubs are like that team. Like all of these guys took massive jumps in velocity, like a ton of them. And it's, it's nice to see because development's kind of like that new frontier. Everybody kind of scouts the same. Everybody kind of evaluates the same, same. So like, if you can get the most out of it in development, that's like, that's key. That's clutch. Absolutely. And Craig Greslow, if our listeners are not familiar with him, former major league reliever, he pitched 13 seasons for, uh, I'm not going to count them all, but it was a lot of different teams. Uh, spent a lot of time with Boston, spent some time with Minnesota, Cleveland, a little bit with Oakland. This is a, a very, very smart man. He majored in molecular biophysics and biochemistry at Yale. And, you know, I don't know how Yale's molecular biophysics and biochemistry departments stack up to other schools, but I have to imagine it probably compares pretty favorably. Uh, so this is a very, very intelligent individual. And his current title in the Cubs organization is 
assistant general manager slash vice president of pitching. So he gets to put that on his business card. He is the VP of pitching, but this is exactly. So this is a a former major league uh, reliever himself, a brilliant individual. I have a great quote here from former Red Sox manager, John Farrell. Breslow uses words in a normal conversation that I'm not used to. Uh, so this is a very smart guy. He's extremely data-driven. He's big into, again, the, looking at video of deliveries, the kinematics of the body. So this is a very smart man. And Jeremy, you sent a, a quote from Joel Sherman earlier today saying that, uh, I'm sorry, Sheehan, not Sheehan, not Sherman. Sheehan. Oh, yeah. Sheehan. You sent a, a quote from him today that if you get enough talented people in half zips, you don't have to spend as much on talented people in fancy pajamas. Yeah. And, you know, for our listeners who can't infer the meaning there, if you get smart enough executives and coaches, uh, they can make middling players into better players and you don't need to spend as much in free agency. And that's, you know, please spend in free agency. Don't take that literally, but that's what the Cubs are trying to do. You get enough brilliant people in positions of, of front office and coaching and you can do great things with player development. That's what the Cubs are trying to do. And a guy like Craig Breslow doing all that hard work on the pitching side, it's paying off. Yeah, definitely. And and Justin Stone was kind of the, the equal hire on the offensive side. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, just remembered I you know after that one year I believe it was uh 20 if I think it was 2019 where the Cubs just kind of everything just kind of fell apart at the end I I want to say the oh, Cubs, 2019 yeah it was the 2019 Cubs, I remember it vividly made, well that was the year I'm, I'm trying to remember when it was actually the Cubs made this deep kind of commitment to oh, re-overhauling the kind of the entire organizational infrastructure uh, in terms of development and whatever. And they made this new commitment to reevaluating the way they do things, because unfortunately you could argue the Cubs had kind of fallen behind. Like when Theo first came out to the uh, organization in 2012. Famously, famously, he tells stories of how, how behind the organization was when he came on board. Right. And he got it to a point where the Cubs were probably a cutting edge team. You want to look from 2012 to 2015, 2016, the Cubs were the forefront. They were the cutting edge team. And unfortunately, I, I think, and Theo talks about it, they probably kind of thought to like, this is how we've done it. We're really good at what we're doing. They kind of, kind of probably had some blinders on and didn't realize other teams were developing, other teams were innovating and moving ahead of them. And they were kind of stagnating and, or even possibly moving back. And so uh, it really was kind of a deep kind of clean and, and like reevaluate what are we actually doing here? And I, and I, I, I reward them for that. I think that was a good thing to do. So you do have to review everything and Craig Breslow being, it was a part of that coming in, revamping the whole infrastructure. And, and I think this, this whole development process is, is one of the reasons why I'm so excited for the Cubs. I know we're kind of a little off topic here, but it's why I was so excited for kind of the Cubs future. Cause they brought in all these like kind of young guys that you can kind of mold with these advanced kind of newer development processes and I think the Cubs are just really kind of putting together this, this kind of all of it together to try to kind of this, this future, the next couple of years that I am excited for. And I think we're also going to start seeing that, you know, a lot of these, we're going to see a lot of these young arms come up this year. Manny Rodriguez is probably already going to be up. That's a guy who throws 99 miles an hour. So I'm excited that, for all the velocity. In, in that the dude is, that dude is a tank. Yeah. Like, you know, you see a guy off the baseball diamond, you don't necessarily always, always recognize him. Manny Rodriguez is a tank. That dude does not skip arm day 
in the gym. Like, no, yeah, that, that, that young man is a tank. And, you know, like you said, he's a hard throwing reliever. You can never have too many of those. We've seen a lot of them flame out. The history of the game is littered with arms that simply did not live up to their potential, but you can never have too many of those. And that's another guy you hope to see succeed. And again, that's what, that's the value of spring training is the one time a year where you generally have kind of all the top figures in an organization in one place and teams are investing more and more money in their spring training facilities to use these places as not only these top flight facilities in the spring, but to use them as training bases year round. And so that's one of the values of spring training is you get your pitching infrastructure, your hitting infrastructure, and all of your top prospects in one place at the same time. And that's where you start to see groundwork laid for doing a season's worth of work. So I, I think it's germane to the discussion as we discuss minor leaguers who could factor in is the infrastructure that's allowing them to factor in. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's where I was trying to go with it. I was just hoping I wasn't boring anybody. <laughs> Uh, look, if they are listening to us, I think they know what they're getting into at this point. Uh, I'm not too worried about boring anybody. I think we're having a great discussion. Here. I do too as well. Exactly. Um, so something we'll touch on real quick is coming in 2023, as we knew this was coming and we've gotten the full details uh, today, is uh, a balanced schedule. Beginning in 2023, uh, interleague play will result in every team playing every other team in both leagues uh, on a number of occasions. So real quick, the breakdown here is you will play 56 games within your own division, 14 against each opponent. You will play 60 games total against um, the other teams in your, in your league. So the Cubs, for example, will play 60 games against every other team in the NL 10 against every remaining opponent. So you're going to get uh, two road series or two home series. Uh, it'll be a little bit imbalanced. And then this is the big change is you will play 46 interleague games annually and you will play every other team in the other league at least once. And that will include four games against your quote unquote natural rival. Uh, I know we know who that is for some of the teams. I'm a little curious to see who they who exactly the natural rivals are for certain other teams. Um, but this is this is a big change. The Cubs are going to play teams like Anaheim and Oakland and the Yankees and Red Sox. You're going to play them once annually. Sometimes it'll be in their park. Sometimes it'll be at Wrigley. Jeremy, this is a big change coming to baseball next season. It is a big change. And I, I remember when they changed it from the un, from the balance to the unbalanced, uh, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago. And now they're changing it back to the balance. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of this. I, I, I just, I've always kind of valued divisional games. Those are these games where you're trying to compete and win your division, which I think is kind of losing kind of its importance with the expanded playoffs. And I, and I think it's important to like, you know, we're trying to you win your division. I think it's important to reward winning the division. And then when it comes to interleague play, what kind of made interleague play special. And I realize the novelty is worn off after almost 30 years of it, but you you don't see everybody all the time like that's kind of the whole point of it is you're playing teams that you didn't really ever see and so now that if we're going to play them all the time which we've already had already you know one interleague series always going it used to only just be like a month well just interleague, and then that was it but now there's always going to be an interleague series and now we're playing every team it i, I just feel like it kind of takes off some of kind of you know the the, the specialness of it where I, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to see Oakland, and, but now we're going to see Oakland every year. Now they won't be coming to Wrigley every year, but we're going to see them every year. So I, to me, it's, it's I, I kind of liked the unbalanced schedule. Plus it's a lot more traveling for the players. It is going to be a lot more traveling, you know, and it's going to, it's going to vary. But for example, the Mets are now potentially, you know, you, it used to be in a rotation. You would play 
one division in the other league every year. And so, for example, the Mets and the A's, two teams on opposite ends of the country in opposite leagues, the Mets and the A's would align once every three years. One team would have to travel to the other, and then that's it until it cycles back. But now you're going to have the Mets and the A's, for example, playing each other annually. And that's another West Coast trip for the Mets or another East Coast trip for the A's again, to use, to use the example that is going to happen annually. So it is going to result in a lot more traveling You get teams at the coasts who are going to have to make at least one more trip to the opposite coast every season. So it is going to be a lot more travel. And honestly, I agree with what you said about um, some of the novelty of interleague wearing off. It was novel that the Cubs would only play some of the storied teams in the AL East once every three years, that they'd only play the Yankees and the Red Sox, you know, every, every three years. And now you're going to get that annually. And yeah, a little bit of the novelty is, is going to die off. And, you know, you know, the novelty was manufactured. It was, it was scarce because that's how it lined up, but it's still something we're used to. So these are, these are big changes. Like you said, it's going to result in more travel and it's, it's going to change really the landscape of the schedule with you playing every team every year. And I'm sure teams are happy because they get to sell you know, ticket packages around certain teams coming in a lot more frequently. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be a big adjustment for us. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I've to me, hopefully, you would think. I mean, I'm sure nobody actually ever really considers it, but like maybe the city of Chicago should be more of a spot for some players to go. So I'm not traveling from Seattle or from Miami every three years. I'm traveling thousands of miles. Whereas, you know, you're in Chicago, your travel is probably going to be a lot easier than a lot of other clubs. So maybe that's something the Cubs need to promote when they're trying to acquire some talent. Absolutely. The Cubs can, Jed can put forth in his free agent pitch packet that he slides across the table, uh, just a map of the United States with a big star over where Chicago is and notes, not on this coast, not on that coast, right in the middle. So uh, maybe he can work that into his pitches. If he did he hasn't the weather already, with the San Diego, Chicago. He, so he, he did Jed, travel mileage. <laughs> Jed, we know comes from that Theo Epstein of school of leave no stone unturned. And we know he had those weather charts ready when pitching to say a Suzuki. So I certainly wouldn't put it past him to work in some geography there as well. So Jed, if you need that idea, call us, Jeremy, will sell you the idea for uh, what I'm sure is a very reasonable sum. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be a big change. And, you know, something that we'll bring up when Ronan is back with us, because I know he has thoughts on this regarding the reduction of games within the division, but you're going to lose that as well. And you you know how much I hate certain teams within the division. But, you know, my my opinion is not necessarily canon to everybody, and I understand that. Um, Yeah, and, you know, you're going to lose games in the division. And we'll we'll put this to Ronan when he's back with us and healthy from uh, whatever bug he's dealing with right now. But that's going to be a big change as well, is not seeing teams within your division quite as much. Yeah, as I said, I'm I'm not a fan of that. I, you know, I know we all don't hate the Cardinals or the Reds or the Pirates, but I kind of like, you know, those are the games that mean the most. It means the most to play those teams in your division. So I like having a lot of them. Right. So we'll we'll bring this up again when Ronan is with us, because I know he has thoughts that he wants to get out on the the digital airwaves here. But it's going to be a big change. And that's something that we will look ahead to for next season. Before we wrap up today, and by the way, but do before we wrap up today, feel free to find us on Twitter at BTYL podcast. You can always tweet us your thoughts about the latest episode, maybe something you uh, would like us to discuss on an upcoming episode. We're always happy to interact with our listeners, all five of them. Uh, so we are episode number 62 this evening, and as we have said in a lot of recent episodes, as you get into the 60s and such, the 
the list of players to have worn the number, it tends to thin out pretty heavily. So we are number 62 tonight, but there are some interesting names to have worn number 62. Jeremy, you gave me the guy that stood out to you most pre-show. Who is your 62 standout? Yeah, when I think of 62, I think of uh, probably the most recent starter the Cubs have had with that number, or maybe only starter the Cubs have had with that number, uh, Jose Quintana. Uh, you know, didn't quite work out the way we all wanted it to work out. We, we thought we were going to get, you know, a really stud pitcher, gave up a lot. I know we hear it from a lot of people and some Cubs fans, some White Sox fans, you hear it. But I always liked you. I thought, you know, if if it wasn't for that trade, to be honest, the Cubs probably might not have made the playoffs in 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 2017 and, and probably wouldn't have made the NLCS. He had a monster second half. He shut down the Brewers a ton in that second half, which launch the Cubs into the playoffs because well, you got to remember the Cubs were under 500 uh, at the all-star break and Theo had talked about selling. Um, and then, so I, I think he kind of doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. I think he deserves a little bit more. Unfortunately, he sliced his hand on cleaning a wine glass. So we he really did didn't get do that. That happened. that happened. And it's unfortunate that we get to hear it on the other side of town. Every time, you know, certain players do certain things. But uh, I liked Q, and I'm, I'm glad he wore a Cubs uniform. And so when I think of 62, he's the guy who I think of. And I know, Randall, you had a guy that you mentioned, and I was like, oh, yeah, him too. I did. I did. And, yeah, Jose Quintana, he's always going to be the victim, not of the player who he was, which is a perfectly serviceable starting pitcher. He's pretty good at times, but who he was traded for. But, you know, we, we don't have to get too deep into it, but I think who he was traded for, they have their own warts as well. I think we would be uh, having a, a different but perhaps similarly dismayed discussion had those players remained in the Cubs organization. But like I said, we don't need to get into it. The 62 standout for me is none other than Bob Howery. Uh, a free agent signing ahead of the 2006 season. He was a fairly effective reliever for some pretty good Cubs teams in 2007, 2008. He held down that closer role for a stretch in 2007 when Ryan Dempster was out with an injury. Uh, he was, at least for part of his time as a Cub, a fairly effective reliever. And I know he flamed out a little bit at the end, as relievers do from year to year. But uh, 62, my 62 standout is Bob Howery. He's made some appearances at Cubs convention before Cubs convention ceased to exist courtesy of the pandemic, but wherever he is tonight, I hope you're doing well, Bob Howery. Yeah, Bob Howery. I, whenever I think of Bob Howery, besides the fact that he had got charged on the mound, it's probably the first thought when I think of Bob Howery, Bob, excuse me, Bob Howery. Uh, but I always just like picture a dude who's just, he has like one pitch, basically a 95 mile per hour fastball, and he's trying to throw it on the black of the plate either side if it's the left side or the right side he's just trying to hit that that edge and that's all he did pretty much I, I feel like in my memory was just Bob Howery trying to hit that edge and you know you kind of creep 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 and unfortunately sometimes he might have creeped it too much over the plate uh that and, I, and if I remember correctly he was part of the white flag trade I, I want to say though with the White Sox where he was acquired from the uh San Francisco Giants I thought but I, I don't I, I as part of the uh uh, yeah, he was. He was part of the white flag trade in 1997 where the White Sox sold, only being three and a half out of the playoffs, and the, the fans were not happy about it. But a lot of those guys, uh, Bob Howery, Keith Folk, ended up being keys to the uh, 2000 playoff team. So Bob Howery, a guy who pitched on both sides of the city. That, yeah, and I remember when uh, when he came over signing as a free agent out of Cleveland, there were a lot of uh, chirping fans uh, calling him names like Gascan Howery. It had been a, a little bit of a rough go for him. But yeah, Bob Howery, a number 62. Uh, some other 62s in Cubs history. 
another number that wasn't worn between the mid 60s and the early 2000s, there was a, a gap from 1965 to 2003 before any uniformed member of the team would wear the number again. But Joel Peralta wore the number in his brief stint as a Cub in 2016. And of course, we think of 2016 as the, one of the best Cubs teams in our lifetime, and rightly so, because it was the best team in our Cubs lifetime. Uh, but they were throwing stuff at the wall in the bullpen, yeah. hoping it would stick as recently or as late as midseason that year. Uh, I want to say, was it Joe, was Joe Nathan a 2016 Cub as well? Because he's technically a world champion, is he not? I believe so. There's a lot of those type of guys that kind of run through the Theo era for me. A lot of guys like, oh, names like Fernando Rodney, Rafael Soriano. It's like somehow Jaime Garcia ended up in the Cubs bullpen at one point. Uh, you know, uh, Jorge De La Rosa. You're, you're <laughs> not, yeah, you're not wrong. Of these, like not... name guys. It's like, oh, and then they ended up in the Cubs bullpen at some point. You're like, you oh, are, you are, you are not wrong. That? And I'm not wrong. Joe, Joe Nathan and Joel Peralta were both 2016 Chicago Cubs. So again, for even the best team you will ever see was still trying to piece it together in the bullpen uh, as, as late as midway through that season. So one of those fun bits of trivia for you. You can never have enough bullpen arms. You can never have enough bullpen arms. That's correct. Human arms are weak. That's why you build with bats, which are made out of sturdy wood instead of human arms, which are fleshy and soft. That'll do it for episode number 62 of Behind the Yellow Line. We'll be back with you, possibly with a double dose next week, bringing you our Cubs and MLB-wide predictions. Ronan is going to heal up. He's going to come off the five-day IL. Uh, He'll be back to lead us next week, we hope. Be sure to follow us on Twitter again, at BTYL Podcast. For Jeremy, I'm Randall. Thanks for being with us tonight, and we'll see you again next week.